Footy Ado, the Delusional Soccer Podcast. Footy Ado, a soccer delusion shared by two brothers in close association. Welcome, and you are listening to Footy One Plus One. That's the name, right? You're going with that? No. Still on this, because it's weird. Because I, I mean, honestly, this was—I was thinking this week was going to just be me. I thought I was going to be. The only it was one getting close to it. It really yeah. was. Um. So make sure you keep that that footy one logo close, because I guarantee it's going to be used again at some point. Um. No, good old good old footy you do. Um. And it's. Good to, you know, do our normal thing for consecutive weeks in a row, even if we're recording a day late because of a holiday. Uh, Labor Day. Yeah, we have to shut down the studio, give our, you know, our team, our production team some time off. Yeah. The intern uh, got some time off. Yeah. Miss Maya spent her day on the roof. Um, that's where she exists now. So good for her. Good for her day off for... For the Maya Doge. Um, but thankfully, there wasn't a week off from football this this weekend. Um, but that's coming next weekend in the first international break of the season. Let me tell you, I am not looking forward to it. Not even a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we, we get do get the, the, um, the pleasure of having a USA-Mexico game, so that's... That's exciting. You say it's a pleasure beforehand, but remember that the USA is probably going to lose to to Mexico. Probably. Um, we'll see. We'll see. So uh, let's let's jump right into the football that we did have to watch this weekend. The biggest match of the weekend, of course, was the North London Derby at the Emirates Stadium. Felt kind of early for a North London Derby um, this season, but. You know, there's only about seven or eight match weeks this year that don't have a matchup between two of the big six clubs. So it's going to be, uh, you know, a majority of the time we're going to have some big these, matchups, these big games to talk about. And yeah, what well, we've already had, we've already had Liverpool Arsenal, we've already had Tottenham Man City, and we've already had uh, Tottenham Arsenal. So this is Liverpool yeah. Chelsea is coming. Is coming. Well, we've had that. Yeah, outside of the. Uh, Outside of the Premier League, that was yeah, the, you're right, the you're UEFA right. Super Cup. But that's coming up. There's one more week, and then I guess yeah, we have the international break, and then uh, the week after that is one other week, and then Chelsea Liverpool again towards the uh, the end of September. So big stuff, big now, games. Now the the North London Derby took place before the end of the European transfer window. Of course, English clubs cannot bring could not bring any players in. Um, that deadline was uh, weeks ago, um, and which is weird. It's it's it's, it's weird for. I mean, I mean, it's good. I think it's I think it's better having it like that. But it's not better when every other league doesn't follow that guideline. Yeah, yeah that's it's definitely a di- at a disadvantage to the English clubs. Because players can still leave, correct? Yes, yes, they can. And, that makes no sense. And. Uh, one big question mark he- heading into this game was whether or not Christian Eriksen would be there um, once the window closed. Of course, he has stayed with Spurs, and he scored a goal in the derby, but 
Um, the question mark surrounding it, um, it just kind of looms over the team, and it's a talking point that you actually don't want to have. It's just a distraction. Um, yeah, and he even came out again today and like reiterated that like you know it didn't go the way I wanted to. No, yeah. Um, he said he wish he wishes he could just leave like yeah you could make your decisions for your career like in football manager. So right. it's, if you want to leave, you're gone. If you want to sell a player, he's gone. If it, like it, not that it necessarily should be that uh, cut and dry, but it's a player who said before the window opened that he wanted to leave for a new challenge and nothing was able to get done. And um, he's going to be at Spurs at least until, until January. Um, I'm curious. Did I, I feel like I heard correctly that his contract is up at the end of this season or is that yeah. the end of next season? Um, I believe his is, I'm not sure because there's a couple players in that sort of weird area um, and I want to actually, I want to go on the record and say, like, I know I've said multiple times, I don't want to overreact too much to early results and early table, you know, standings. You know, you look at Spurs and Chelsea, they're in the mid-table, United mid-table area, but they're only a couple points off top four. So like, I, I, I don't want to overreact, but I do want to go on the record and say, I think I was... I was wrong about Spurs going into the season. I I picked them to win the league this season, and I think that they have the potential to do that. But there are too many of these talking points, question marks around the team. You have Christian Eriksen with his contract wanting to leave. Vertonghen's contract is ending. He hasn't signed a new deal. Alderweireld is in a very similar situation. Vertonghen hasn't even really been playing. He came in and played against Arsenal, but he hasn't played that much. And then you have a player like uh, Danny Rose who has wanted to leave. Who's starting? Serge Aurier is on the bench. Can't even get a game in. They're playing Davison Sanchez. Davison Sanchez in his position, who looked he, pretty terrible, to be honest with you. I, I mean, he didn't look. I mean, there he was looked, times if, for for a makeshift right back, he was decent. But I thought he was pretty good in the first half. I mean, he won the physical battles against Aubameyang whenever it came up. Like every time there was a physical battle, he won. He's obviously not going to be yeah. the quickest guy. He's, on the he's ball. gonna yeah all day. He was gonna win those physical battles, but he was never gonna win a, a foot race. Right. Um, and against Aubameyang, you're gonna get quite a few of those. Mm-hmm. Um. So uh, like you are saying, the the contract situation at Spurs it if, with Vertonghen, Alderweireld, and Christian Eriksen being out of contract at the end of the season. That like, Spurs are in an absolutely terrible position from a financial standpoint, from a standpoint of having your team act as a cohesive unit, because their mind is not only going to be on the pitch. Their mind is going to be on, you know, am I staying here? Am I going to sign a new contract, or am I going to go? Now, Erickson, I cannot imagine he's going to be there by the beginning of the next season. Alderweireld the same for Tongan, I would say really is the only guy to me that's going to that that would sign a new contract with Spurs but there's been no moving forward with that. So I I agree with you that I think I kind of overestimated what Spurs could do this season um having picked them to finish second. Um I think your pick of having having them win the league is um is a little bit worse than me picking them second, but I don't think either of us are going to be correct in in that aspect. No, yeah, it's it, it seems like it, and you also you, you don't want to uh, forget about the the Pochettino angle. You know, he said 
constantly that he, like you said, you brought it up on the last week's episode, he's the coach, not the manager. Um, and I think what I what I responded with was them getting to the Champions League final kind of kept him on for another year, kind of convinced him to stay rather than try and find a new a new challenge. Because I, personally, I think it would have been better for his career if he had left and gone to Manchester United. It would have been better for Manchester United. Um, you know, so like if a season goes rough with these players, they're not, they're, you know, at odds with each other and, you know, the club doesn't really show him that they're going to be getting the players to replace these players or signing these players. Um, you know, he could, he could grow tired of it again and, and, and maybe try and seek out a, a new a chapter in his managing career. Yeah. And, you know, there's always question marks over, teams like uh teams in la liga like barcelona and real madrid um because it's it's one short period of uh not being successful and they're always they're looking for a new manager they're they're looking for the top guy in football now uh zidane is at madrid he's back at madrid after coming back towards the end of last season and we'll see what happens there um but I, I wouldn't be surprised if a big club who sacked their manager put everything they could into getting Pochettino, um, even if it's in the middle of the season or come next summer. Um, but let's uh, let's first start with with the lineups that these two teams went with. So from we already talked a little bit about Spurs, but from their point of view, with the back four, Danny Rose, a player who. Um, you know, has talked about leaving two center backs with contracts up at the end of the season and a center back playing right back. Not the most confidence going into that game. Um, but that being said, they are, those are very talented defenders who in the right mindset um, can get the job done. Now in midfield, they went with, um, they went with Winks and Sissoko as the two holders Erickson um, kind of switched in and out with uh, with Son on playing, you know, as a number ten or playing on the left. We saw Son more on the left hand side, though. Um, Eric Lamella played out on the right, and of course Harry Kane played up front. Ten goals now in ten Premier League in ten Premier League North London derbies for for Kane. So um, no real shocks, I guess, in that in that space. Um, Dele Alley came back from an injury. Lucas Moura went unused um, uh, on the bench. So Ow. both teams only used two subs, um, which was a little weird. Um, but but that's that's the way it went. Now for Arsenal, they um, went away from that 4-4-2 with the diamond in midfield that they used at Anfield and went with a 4-3-3, and the, all the buzz was around the front three starting of uh, Lacazette, Aubameyang, and Nicola Pepe. Now, I thought Pepe looked lively. He, you know, his dribbling skills are incredible, but his finishing product was not quite there. Um, in defense, they had Socrates, David Luiz in the middle of the park, or in the center defense, uh, Kolesinac and Maitland-Niles as the fullbacks, but the biggest talking area was the midfield for me, actually. Um, going away from from that front three, who I expected to start, um, the midfield was Guendouzi, Torreira, and Shaka, and I wasn't surprised per se at this midfield three, but I was 
a little I, I was questioning Unai Emery for picking Granite Shaka in this Right. In this but game. you had you had more hope on it because Torero was with him. Yes. Um and yeah, I think it was because I, I was I was heavily criticizing, and I said, "Why isn't a player like Ceballos playing?" Um, and you had said, "You know, he wasn't great at Anfield, but uh, neither was Chaka." Um, I think I think they almost got it. Right. I think you put in, uh, you know, Torreira. The thing is, where he puts Torreira, he has he has Chaka. Where, what does he use? What is his idea for what Chaka's role is? Because he always has him as the deepest lying yeah. midfielder with Torreira and Guendouzi either side. So I, I think when you bring in a player like Ceballos with that formation, it looks like he's not going to replace Greta Chaka. He's going to replace one of those other two. Um, so I don't necessarily know if maybe that's maybe that's just not the right setup for for that because I. I think you got to go with cuz when Ceballos came on he he looked great. He like he you know he was completing passes, dribbles, like he looked very lively. There was an influence that he had on it and obviously Guendouzi had an amazing game. Um and you know you Torreira's your little pit bull that you know can run around and and uh in def- like in defensive midfield. And I just don't know, besides the occasional on-target shot from outside the box, what Granite Chaka is bringing you. He is a good passer of the ball when he's given space with his left foot. Um, he is rarely successful on his right foot. Um, but I I would like to see Torreira move into that into that deepest role in the Arsenal midfield. Um, and either swap him out with a more creative player like Danny Ceballos, or say you know you're playing a, a playing away from home where Arsenal haven't been all that good, especially defensively. Um, bringing in Joe Willick, who's had a great start to the season. Um, the thing about that is you have a lot of inexperience in midfield. Um, with if you're going to keep Guendouzi in there, because you. You have, I know it's 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 young players, it's young promising players, but um, to have Lucas Torreira in a midfield where he's 23 years old as and he's the uh, the oldest midfielder um, in in a midfield with Guendouzi and Willick, that would be a little bit rough. So you have a 23 year old and two 20 year olds. Um, so maybe Chuck is there because he's more of a leader, and we don't really. We don't really see the leadership quality, um, obviously, like the manager sees it day to day at the training ground, um, in team meetings and whatnot. So there's aspects of this that we don't quite get, but that's because we don't have the access to this team like Unai Emery does. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think he can bring it without necessarily starting. I, I I understand what you're saying about the the inexperience. I I would throw that away a little bit, honestly, in regards to Guendouzi, because this is we're in a second season now where he's played a majority of these big games. And you know and he, it, and he on, was, on on Sunday he was absolutely incredible. He was the best player on the pitch for either side. Right. So that's what I'm saying. So like I wouldn't even worry about the him in terms of inexperience because he played all these games last year. Um, those big games and it's it's he's he's really starting to become a, a star for them. Um, I, I I'm really excited 
for uh, when he gets sold to Everton in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> no, in, in all seriousness, no, I think he like he is becoming an experienced midfielder. He's very young, but he's becoming an ex- experienced midfielder. Um, and he'll get loads of confidence. He just got his first France senior team call up. Right. Yeah. And, I'm, and the thing is, I'm just not seeing it from Chaka. I'm not seeing that experience on the pitch. He probably, you could argue, should have been sent off against Spurs. That there, was, there are, an his, argument could be made. Stoppage time yellow card was probably his fourth or fifth offense. Right. There, that could have been a yellow. Because I said out loud to myself, I was like, oh, well, he's gone. And then I was like, wait. Wait, that was the first yellow? <laughs> that was the first yellow card? Did we see what he did in the box? <laughs> that was, easily could have been a yellow card. And I know that there's different rules regarding cards in the box but um right so I, there's we're going to be asking ourselves these questions for a little while now um i think maybe because torero is still not at full match fitness because you know he played in the Copa america in the summer so he didn't have nearly as much of a break as a player would like to have um i think that plays plays a role into how they go from the start. Now I know he was brought off for Ceballos and further down the road when he's, you know, really able to play 90 minutes week in week out, I think we're going to see a little bit of a change. So I'm not ready for matches into the season to say, um, that Unai Emery needs to start making the decisions a little bit better. Um, but if by October we're still seeing the same questionable decisions being made, that's that's when it, you really start to take into consideration what he sees in Granite Shaka. It's no question that he should be that Shaka should be in the 18 and that he's going to be starting um, a considerable amount of games for Arsenal. But starting games against the big six where he just looks like a liability, it just doesn't seem like the right idea because Arsenal our defensive liability in the first place, you don't need any help. And me and Nick watching the game were joking around. I think Nick said, ah, Mustafi's not here, so someone's got to play that role. And Chaka did it perfectly by giving away the penalty in the first half. Yeah. Um, so, so Tottenham scored in the 10th minute of this game. Christian Eriksen with a tap-in um, after a rebound that Leno put right into his path. Wide open goal, Eriksen scores. Arsenal were dominant in the first 10 minutes and conceded and then after that things kind of slowed down that it kind of stayed even and then they started to look good again and then conceded a penalty right yeah they looked so like the way it was going they looked very good in possession yeah like they are they they dominated possession as i would say but then every time spurs got the ball they looked very threatening on the counter um which led of course to the to those goals um yeah burton leno with some amazing saves but also, like you, you have to put him at fault, obviously for for that for that goal. Um, of course, he's not fully at fault. I remember watch, I watched a replay where you look at I think Socrates got caught out, and David Luiz decided to just run up into like midfield yes. and got ran by, and then he like once the the ball was spilled and then tapped in by Erickson, you see David Luiz kind of like oh like what are you doing, Bert Leno? And I'm like David Luiz, that was. That wouldn't have happened had you not yeah. ran into midfield like an idiot. Well, Socrates did the same thing because so their challenge. I don't remember whose header it was, but Chaka's already going up for the challenge, and it's 
one that Chaka's not going to win. And Socrates goes up for the same ball. So you mm-hmm. immediately, they both lose that header. You have two players taken out. You have your deepest midfielder and one of your center backs. And then as Socrates is coming back, he doesn't realize the run of Christian Eriksen. So if he looks over his shoulder and sees Eriksen there, he's first on that rebound to clear it away. But instead, Eriksen finishes. Um, so there is definite defensive mishaps um, there. And those need to be worked out on the training ground. He's had a year of English football under his belt, and he looked Arsenal's best defender last season for most of the campaign, but the mistakes are still there. Mm-hmm. And then, like we said, with the penalty, 40th minute, Kane puts the penalty home, and uh, more than questionable from Shaka to go down in the penalty area in a situation where yeah, it's a threatening situation. Son's got the ball in the box, but he's not getting a shot away. He doesn't have any view at a shot. There's absolutely no reason to be going to the ground in that situation. Oh, yeah, it was it was awful. It defied logic. I, I didn't see it initially. I saw the like, point of the spot, and I watched the replay, and I just was blown away yeah. by what I was looking at. Yeah. Um, Harry Kane, that penalty that he— like, uh, That might be one of the best penalties I've ever seen. It didn't matter which way the keeper went. He could have he no, guessed right, and it was still going in. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the best placed. It was, I mean, it was very well placed. It was all the way over. Like, you know, it hit the back of the side net, you know, but, like, also just the, with the power that he hit it. It yeah. hit the back of the net before you could even blink. Yeah. Um, and, you know, of course, Harry Kane scoring in a, in a North London derby again. Um, but the thing is with Spurs, like, I feel like these North London derbies are, okay, are like, they happen like this so often where it's like the first half is Spurs out, like, you know, making Arsenal look bad and, and, and taking a, a two-goal lead or taking a lead, and then in the second half they just sort of crumble with the pressure. Like, they, they've been better than... They've finished ahead of Arsenal the past three years in the table. Um, yet sometimes Arsenal just have their number. Uh, I don't know when the last time... They, I don't think they've won in a while at the Emirates. It's been nine over nine years now since... Right, so that crumble... So you're up 2-0, and that pressure of... I just... just Arsenal having your number just kind of comes back, and Arsenal just... It, it gives them belief. Giving up that goal at the end of the half was... What, what a finish for Luck, is that, though? Yeah, um... Who, who got the start because, yeah. well, because it was they were at home. He's he's uh, now scored 38 goals for Arsenal, 29 at the Emirates. Yeah, so uh, I don't know what the psychology is there in terms of why he doesn't start on the road. And I'm not quite sure. I, I have to go back and look at the you know minutes-to-goal ratio away from home and, and at home. But is he not scoring away because he's not starting away, or is he not starting away because he's not scoring away? Yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting because you know he does he shows up in in games like this, uh, especially at home. I mean, obviously, especially at home. Like he scored a goal, he he got the start and he scored a big goal. Uh, totally changed the game. You look, I, I watched Spurs the Spurs players coming off at halftime, and they looked disappointed, and they should have been because they were up two nil and they let Arsenal back into and, the game. And they were right they were up two nil after not being the better team in the first half. It's, right. There's sometimes. Maybe I mean I don't I don't Arsenal weren't that threatening 
they didn't seem that threatening to me. Yes, they had more of the ball, but Spurs looked far more threatening in attack when they were on their counterattack. So I wouldn't necessarily say Arsenal were far and away the better the better team. No, no, I'm not saying that it was Arsenal were miles ahead, but uh, I, I think Arsenal were miles ahead in the second half. Um, oh, for sure. Spurs Absolutely. really struggled. You know, they did have that big chance that uh, Kane just hammered off the post. Um, right, that, that, I to, was very surprised to that make it the post to yeah. to make it uh, that could have made it three one and finish it off, but um, the the equalizing goal, Guendouzi, I I've watched the replay of this goal six seven times and I cannot seem to figure out how he sees this this ball on. There's nothing on there to me, um, and obviously his vision is a little bit better than mine. Uh, there's a reason why he's starting a North London Derby at 20 years old, and I'm talking about it at 24. Um, but the the vision to find that pass and then for Aubameyang to poke it home, it was right. it was and incredible. It, helps, it absolutely helps to have a guy with the pace of Aubameyang. That yeah. we, even if we don't even know, maybe he didn't see it. Maybe he says, "Okay, I see Aubameyang there. Let me play a ball over the top and hope he's the he can." beat his man to it which he did and like it's like I, well, I think the commentary was this like if this needs a touch and it got one and went in um excellent goal um and yeah it was just, it just it was a it was a very exciting game it, I, I think I, when did when was that goal uh was that like the 70th minute 71st or? minute 71st minute then we had an exciting you know just back and forth uh to close the game out um <laughs> with but, with most of Spurs' chances falling to Musa Sissoko, right? Ugh. like there was, yeah. I mean, that that ball, just, that's the last player you wanted to fall to. Um, but yeah, I mean, a very exciting game. I think once it was two two, I was like, like this game's ending two two. It was exciting. There was moments where it, you know it could have not, but it just it just felt kind of like a two two story of two halves. Um, you know. Uh, and that's just how some of these North London derbies go. It's either, I always feel like it's either two, it's either two nil either way or or two two, and it's just about letting the team back into it at the end of the half, which is what Spurs did. And um, yeah, so you mentioned how Spurs haven't won at the Emirates in a while, um, and now this is this is eight games in the league where they have not beaten a big six club, eight straight matches that they have failed to pick up all three points against a big six club. Now, obviously, they got through, they got past Man City in the Champions League, um, but in the league, they're struggling against the big opposition. Mm -hmm. How many losses and draws, is like, what is that, has that split up? Let me take a look at that for you. So, I mean, of course, the last two are draws. Um, I remember they lost to Chelsea towards the end of last year. Um, I feel like they've been like they drew. I feel like them and Liverpool always have some exciting draws. They um, lost to City yeah. after the after beating them in the in the Champions League. I mean, if you can't find it, it it's gonna take it's gonna take some search. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, so don't worry about it. I'm yeah, uh, yeah. I so mean, it's, it's two it's draws gonna, this season. Two draws this season. I two losses towards the end of last season against City and, and Chelsea. I just don't know what the other ones were or like what the. Cause I, um, 
Yeah. It was so the two-two. It was the draw against Arsenal, where Aubameyang missed that one chance. Yeah. So I want. It might be like something like five, five draws and three losses or that, something yeah, like that. That sounds about right. But and in times like in the moment, their draw against City looks good. Uh, but then when you pile it up and you look at it all together, it's like, man, you really want to hope that they would have maybe just you know flexed their muscle and beaten one of these sides, but they're just struggling to do so. Um, and you know, it, they're they're in an interesting spot. It's going to be a weird. It, it could be end up being a weird season for for Spurs. Um, uh, but I mean, I think I think that they they normally get off. They kind of usually get off to a slow start and kind of have a nice little hot run. Put the, the pressure middle. on. Yeah, you know, that little moment where they start to do it. So we'll see where it goes. I mean, right now, Liverpool and City are, are flying, so it's going to be hard to catch them given, mm-hmm. you know, the last thing you need to do is give them a head start, which it looks like the only team that's really not trying to do that is, like, Leicester. So. Um, and then two two quick points that I don't even expect you to respond to. Nice. Um, okay. I'm just going to mute myself. Two quick points I don't expect you to respond to. You failed to mute yourself there, guy. Um, mm. So, Spurs, um, saved by VAR once again. <laughs> Offside flag uh, against Kalisinach on what looked like either, I didn't see a good replay of it, either a Socrates goal or a uh, Danny Rose own goal. I think it was more so the own goal. Um, but uh, VAR rules no goal, six with the call on the field. And Harry Kane, towards the end of the match, going down easily in the penalty area. I actually do want a response from you. If you could unmute yourself any time uh, coming up. What did you think about that that incident with Kane going down towards the end of the game? Uh, I, he went down a little too easy. It, I mean, it wasn't like, I don't think it was a complete dive where you go oh, give him a card. Because it looks bad because Socrates' hands are on him. Um, but I think he goes down too easily. I think he could. I think he can stay up and and actually try and get something out of that. So I was fine with where that where that call went. You're fine with with him being a cheater. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, let's move on before we get to uh, your club's. Uh, you, you can't just drop exciting that in there. exciting draw. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But I did. So really, oh really, what are you gonna do about it? Um, Manchester United. And Southampton, a 1-1 draw at the St. Mary's Stadium. Um, Daniel James with a rocket in the 10th minute. And you think, all right, United are going to figure it out here, aren't they? Hey, you know what, Daniel James? Celebrate. You got time. Yeah, this time you don't you don't need to, to get the ball to the center circle. Um, he, he did celebrate uh, this time around. But United undone once again. I I didn't expect Manchester United to be great this season. I expected them to have more points than they currently do. Um you can say you can go back and say ah oh, a couple missed penalties and they've got and they're or a couple made penalties and they're looking a little bit better. But they're just failing to take their chances and uh, Yannick Vestergaard scores in the 58th for Southampton. A half hour you have, and then 15 minutes later, you have a second yellow. Kevin Danso sent off for for Southampton, and United are up a man, and they fail 
to find the winning goal. Was this game? Uh, was this at Old Trafford or was no? It, uh, this was at was on the south Coast. on the south coast. Yes, it was. Um, no, South Southampton on the south coast. No, they're yeah. yeah south, south, south Southampton is definitely on the south coast. You douche. Doesn't have to be on the south coast. It's be south. Um, yeah, uh, it's England. It's, it's the size of like Rhode Island. Okay. Um, yeah, United. I mean, United just they too often drop points. There's they don't have a there's not a a mental thing going like it's like sometimes going against Liverpool, going against City. That's like a daunting task. It's like a like mentally, it's a scary task. Sometimes even going to the Emirates is is scary. United doesn't have that. Like it's not like oh no, you're going to Old Trafford. Like that's frightening. It used to be, but it used to be. It just hasn't been. Yeah, and and like I mean, obviously Chelsea went there and lost four nil. But like these smaller clubs, Crystal Palace can go and go to the like you know I like even even on the even when they come and visit like teams like Southampton, they're not afraid to play Manchester United. They're not a they're not a mentally imposing team. You know, like I don't know what they're what it like. What is it about Manchester United that you see? And it's like, okay, I'm kind of like, what are you most worried about? Like, Paul Pogba, Rashford, like they're too inconsistent to really frighten a team on a consistent basis. You know what I mean? And yeah, even, there's, like Chelsea there's have not, lost it. Like there's Chelsea not a player way. for United that I can think of that I'm like, you know, this guy is consistent week in, week out, um, and the rest of the team is kind of letting him down, but no matter what, he's going to, at the very least, create some very good chances. I don't, I just don't see that for United. Uh, yeah, like, I mean, when he's healthy, Martial, but still, that's not, he's that, not yeah, the most consistent. Yeah, like, look at the top, let's look at the top six. You have Liverpool, you have that, you have Salah, Firmino, Mane, that you're just t- terrified to play, and then on the other end, you have to go up against Virgil Van Dyke. You look at Man City, that entire team, that midfield is te- like Sergio Aguero. You look at uh, Arsenal, you have that at front three that you have to worry about. I mean, obviously, you feel like you can go maybe against their midfield and their defense, but that front three is gonna scare you. Tottenham got to play against Harry Kane, one of the best strikers in the world. Even Chelsea, they don't have Hazard anymore, but you know you got to go up against Ingolo Conte that. A never-ending engine that runs throughout the entire game. United, Pogba might be on his day. Like the most consistent they, player for them this season has been Daniel James. It's been Daniel James, and I mean he's he's an exciting player. He might be the player that we're giving Young Player of the Year at the end of the at the end of the uh, the season. But yeah, there's not something. Oh man, like I'm really like. like there's just not a fear factor when it goes when it comes to United right now. I think and, I think looking at United's defense, they have a a decent set of players in defense. Uh, Lindelof has looked a little bit better this season. Harry Maguire, they just spent loads of money on. Aaron Wan Bissaka, they spent loads of money on. Um, Luke Shaw can't seem to stay healthy, so you have Ashley Young in defense. Um, he does more than a good job. Okay, like he, yeah. There was parts last season where we were like, he's the best fullback in the league. You have Paul Pogba, who's inconsistent. You have Juan Mata, who I don't think gets enough playing time, to be honest with you. He came off in the 68th minute in this game. Um, but at times looks the most threatening. Scott McTominay is a decent defensive midfielder, but their midfield, to me, is 
the biggest lacking point because from a defensive midfield standpoint, at least, you have a young guy in McTominay and an old guy in Matic. One's a yeah. little bit too young to um, be given the the keys to the midfield to uh, carry them through the season, and the other guy can't play as many minutes because um, because he's aging. And that, you know, that they need to figure out. But yeah. that's not to say that's that that's their only problem. So where United go from here, I don't know. Just got to keep working on it. I, they got to try and find some consistency. They got to hope that, you know, McTominay takes those keys. You know, they hope Daniel James keeps playing and really becomes someone who's going to score on a consistent basis. That, um, And then, you know, you hope that, that, that their defense molds together and um, starts to put in some really strong performances. But it's really about that figuring out what formula works best for that midfield um, and finding some consistency in attack. Um, you know, I think, like, look, Rashford has been great. He's a great English player, but, like, a great young English player, but we really need him to be getting to the point where we're talking about him no, uh, not as a bright, young English talent. Like, is this guy one of the best attackers in the world? Is he going to reach that level? Because you play for Manchester United, you got to be at least somewhat in the conversation. And at times when he's really good, he's really good. But, you know, at a time, is he plateauing? Is Has he reached? Is this the best we're going to see from him? Because we've seen him for a while. He got started pretty young, and we've seen him for a while, but we haven't seen him really get any better from, like, the past couple seasons. Yeah, so it's it's going to be a long, a long season for United with these with these talking points um and you know with that we move on to another team who's kind of in in a transition period more than united wants to be i guess um but chelsea are a little bit more accepting of that i'd say um but they draw they drew at home with sheffield united 2-2 uh chelsea now (laughs) sit in 11th with sheffield united in 10th even on points, but Chelsea have conceded nine goals. Yeah. Um, defensively, Chelsea are weak. Um, and the fact that the most senior defender for Chelsea uh, this weekend was Kurt Zuma was, or uh, senior center back, I'm sorry, uh, was Kurt Zuma was worrying. And, but, Let's not say that Chelsea didn't start well. Two nothing at the at the break. Tammy Abraham with the first half brace. Um, is that his second brace in a row, or just second in the season? Second brace in a row. So yeah, one against Norwich. Yeah. So he's he's looking good. He's got four goals this season, um, and the other two for Chelsea in the league have been Mason Mount. So young English players are scoring goals for them, but to you know, it looks like they forgot to come out for the second half of this one. Callum Robinson scored in the 46th minute. And Sheffield United got behind their team at this point. When that first goal was scored for Sheffield, they got behind their team. A minute into the second half, they they got a goal. And a minute before the end, Kurt Zuma scores an own goal. Um, and I just... 
I guess the problem for Chelsea is the injury to N'Golo Kante, but uh, there's got to be, there's got to be something more. And well, there is. I mean, the defense. So look, I mean, the most one of the issues is the most senior player in the defense is Cesar Espilicueta, and he's he's really not had a good year so far. And we've seen it so often with Chelsea fullbacks where they could have a team or they could have a year where you could argue that they could be in the team of the year and then the next year it just completely tails off. It happened with Branislav Ivanovic. He was in the team of the year and then the next year he was, you know, he just completely faded. Chelsea finished 10th and then the next January he was sell- he was sold. He was gone. Um, you know, Espelicueta has been a great servant for the club, but there's too a lot of these goals th- that Chelsea are giving up are are due to he's letting crosses come in. Um, and, you know he's just comp- he has tailed off, um, so that that is worrying. And when that happens, I mean you also like you said you had your most senior center back is Kurt Zuma, who who struggled a bit. I mean he's looked a little bit better since his poor showing against United. Um, but you know it hasn't been great. It's been it's been disappointing to see because he had did he was such a promising young player before his injury with Chelsea a couple of years ago. There was talk like he was he was in the France squad. You know he was one of the young like with Raphael Varane. I think this was a little bit before Umtiti started coming into the fold. That Zuma was like, you know he was going to be the next big center back to be playing for France. And you know this happens and it just hasn't hasn't been the same. Maybe it, some of it's mental. You know, especially this, the rough start to the season. I personally think uh, Tamori, who came in and played, looked really good. He looked pretty solid. He looked, unlike Kurt Zuma, he looks comfortable on the ball. Um, and he did he did pretty solid defensively. Uh, but another gaff from Kurt Zuma. Uh, you know, but again, like, that, you know, Aspilicueta was, was letting some crosses come in that, that maybe shouldn't have. And this defense is still... Needs to be worked out. I mean, it's we haven't seen their best defense because obviously Antonio Rudiger is is injured and working his way back. He's our best center back. Once he comes back in, maybe there's going to be uh, a more solid defense with, you know, with Christensen being fully healthy, and then you have Zuma and Tamori. I I wonder. I wonder if when that happens, where Zuma is going to fall in the pecking order because Tamori looked the better center back this week, uh, and Zuma is still struggling. Um, I, I think Zuma will probably be the first choice, um, at least on the um, as as the uh, the third. So first first choice as a third really makes no sense. But he's going to be the guy that's on the bench. He's going right. to be the guy. So an injury comes in, Zuma's then into the starting eleven, and Tamori. Um, you know, I guess maybe depending on the on the opponent, he could come in, um, but he's going to. Be the guy that then slides in, um, right? To be your, to be your bench guy, but because um, you also have to remember that with a young player, especially a defender, you have to limit not only the amount of minutes that you give to them at such a young age, but the amount of minutes you give to them against big clubs, against good clubs, because right, and the confidence is huge for a young defender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the same thing happened with. Christian Andreas Christensen is a prime example of overusage. Um, he played a lot in Antonio Conte's second year because of the, you know because of injuries because of red cards. You know he ended up playing a lot and he made that center 
that that spot that was David Luiz's the year before, that center of the back three, his own, and towards the end of the season, you know, he 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 was played too much, and some of those mistakes started to creep in. He had a bad pass against uh, Barcelona, which allowed them to equalize in the first leg in the Champions League, and he sort of lost that confidence. And all last season was sort of about building that back up. So like, he's the prime example of not overplaying. Uh, a player. Tamori, though, is a player that played for Frank Lampard at, Der- at Derby County last year. So there is that angle. I mean, we'll see. I think, I think, honestly, the excitement, I, I, I like Christensen. I, re- I really like him as a player. But also the idea of like a Rudiger and Zuma, if Zuma can get back to his peak, would be a very solid back pairing. They're both physically strong and they're both very quick. So that that's something. But whereas you look at you know, Christensen and Samori, they're better on the ball. Um, but yeah, they just, they just got to get it worked out. They also need to figure out, like uh, you said to me off mic, I mean, as SP doesn't really have a backup. Uh, Zappacosta left. Um, their backup is Reese James, who is working his way back from an injury. He had an excellent year with the champion in the championship. A lot of people think he is going to be the future of that position. Um, who did he play with in the championship? Was he another Derby County loney? No, he played for, um, might have been, I want to say Reading, but I don't want to say it to you on a podcast because you yell at me. I'm going to take a look. Um, it's not the wrong Reading, so it's okay. That's fair. It was uh, Wigan. Wigan, yes. Sorry, a blue and white team. Close. Uh, but he had, a, he had a great year, and a lot of Chelsea fans are calling for him to be the new guy coming forward. I don't know how, like, again, you have to worry about his usage, especially coming back from an injury and especially being young. But, um, you know, it's going to be time for Azpilicueta to not be playing as much because the guy played so much the past four years. He was always, like, he was, like, the last name dropped off of a Chelsea eleven. Um, given the game, oh, we're playing in the Capital One Cup. All right, we'll give our center, we'll switch out our center backs, maybe switch out our left back, but Azpilicueta will play. Yeah, you know he's played so much, um, and I think that's probably a part of the reason why he's suddenly tailing off. And you know maybe it's just maybe he'll work his way back into the fold and be better as the season goes on. We'll see. Um, but it hasn't been great. It hasn't been a great start to the season for him. Um, but they got to figure that out. And Golo Conte has to stay healthy. Um, and yeah, they got to get their they got to get Rudiger back. But yeah, it's very much a transition year for Chelsea. They didn't have they didn't have that window. They got a lot of young players, um, but also they have. It's gonna feel like they don't have the January window to improve because of the ban. But they're gonna be getting players back, players back like Reese James, which if he plays well, it's gonna feel like a new signing. Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Callum Hudson-Odoi are gonna feel like new signings, fresh signings for this team. And of course, you gotta figure out. You know, you got a new manager, a new sort of style that you got to get a, get accustomed to. So, obviously, you, they should have felt fortunate. Should have felt fortunate with the schedule. Obviously, they play... Uh, they have that first game against Manchester United, but you got games against Leicester at home. Leicester's going to be a good team this year, but Chelsea, their ambition is to be better than a team like Leicester, regardless of what, how good they are. 
like regardless of how or who's in charge of that club what they got going on Chelsea are a better should be a better team than Leicester so and at home you know maybe you get a draw on the road at Leicester but at home you feel like you should beat them and then you get games against Norwich and Sheffield two promoted teams those should be six points you should get seven points from those three games at the very least yeah and it's it's it should be six points against the two new promoted clubs but it took them five goals to just get four points out of that right yeah, um, and it's they so allowed, like the attack. allowing four goals against two newly promoted sides. Um, it's rough. Is, yeah, is bad. Yeah, these are the games that you need to be building your confidence and getting used to the transition. I mean, look what happened. Chelsea were the last European team in all competitions last year to lose a game, but they had a pretty easy start to the season. So, like, it covered up some of the cracks that ended up, you know, being exposed later on in the season with Sarri's style and his system. But they were able to build up some confidence and work their way into the season, which is what they're not doing this year. They need to figure it out before it gets to the point where you're going to be playing these big games and before the table really starts to form. Like, we still have, I mean, Sheffield is still above them, which they won't be at the end of the season. There's teams that are up on the, in the top four that aren't going to be near there towards the end of the season. But Chelsea need to start being close to that mark by the time the season starts to really before the table really starts to take shape. Yeah. Um, so I guess we can kind of lead this into my delusion of the week. Um, my delusion of the week is regarding Chelsea, not against these uh, newly promoted sides, but against their fellow big six rivals. You got 10 games a year against your big six rivals. Um, I think Chelsea will claim the not only the least amount of points uh, if you're you know talking about a just a, a big six table um, as far as matches against each other but I think that they will only win one out of those ten one out of those ten against the against, against the, the big, big six. six okay who do I, you have any guesses on who it might be against um I think I think it could be um, you know, that kind of heated rivalry over the past few seasons against Spurs, but only if they only mm-hmm. only at the bridge, or um, maybe they try to get some some uh, bragging rights by uh, by getting back at United when they face each other later in the season. Yeah, I could see that. Those are those are two teams I would I, I could see them. Uh, grabbing points against the but, thing, but against like but, City and Liverpool I just see them being overwhelmed yeah perhaps with a lot of those young sides yeah we'll see, I mean we'll see what time because I mean Frank Lampard is always was as a player was always a big mentality guy big game player you have to hope as a, for me as a Chelsea fan that that starts getting implemented into the side and they become a mentally strong team um, you know we've seen him we've seen him beat Manchester United with Derby County yeah um, so, so I'm, I'm thinking as the season starts to, you know, as our team starts to get more fully realized and we start getting used to it, I think that that mentality could be a big thing, uh, big mental game. Cause he was, a, he was always a great, strong mental player. So I'm hoping that that sort of gets, uh, instilled in his side and we'll see. And I obviously hope you are wrong. <laughs> um, but you know. We'll see. I think Spurs would be the one. If I had to pick, I think they're going to do better than that. I think they'll get more than one win. Uh, how many points would you say you think they can get? Again? So how many total points is that? Um, it's 60? Is it 60 points against the 
it's no. there's there's well it's five teams five teams so 10 so it's 30 up up for offer right 30 up for offer um Brett, is that they're already yeah. yeah they've already taken zero of three so there's 27 points left up um I, trying to distinguish whether or not the it you know Draws right, and losses is is tough. Um, it's also hard to think about like okay, what's an average for a, a team you know to get against the big six? Yeah. Wherever like you know oh last year the fourth place team got how many or the third place team got how many or wherever you think Chelsea are gonna fall got how many? Maybe so. Maybe six total, seven total around that area. Right. So you're picking one win, four draws. Something yeah at at yeah. the best. Okay. It would be one win, four draws, and then five losses. So I think that I think that's about where I'm at for for Chelsea. Right, and that that reflects on what, where you think they're going to finish. I think they'll do better, but I also predict them to do better in the in the uh, in the table. I, I made it, but again, they need to start figuring it out because uh, it could be too late once they get these other players back. Um, but I, I I mean they have some exciting midfield and attacking flair options, and the, a good sign right now is that they're getting the goals. It's really about figuring out this defense, um, and I mean, like they could they, they could have been up four 0 against Leicester, and they they also got to work on the mentality stuff. They got to be a, a stronger mentally because you know you let a team back into the game the first minute of the half, which was a problem all last season. They they started the second half poorly, so Lampard needs to work on that with them, um, and get them to be sure because th- that lets them back in. You know, if, if that doesn't happen, even if you hold them and they score in like the 60th or 70th minute, it's a better situation than being up against the ropes for the fi- for the whole second half. Yeah. So. Well, uh, looks like that's going to be the end of it. Uh, we will uh, come back if if not only for a short podcast next week during the international break, we might see a uh, a good old betting bonanza appearance with Nick's picks next week um, but make sure to uh, rate review subscribe to our podcast on all all different platforms whether that's Apple podcast Spotify anchor um, whatever you use to get your podcast follow us on Twitter and Instagram at footy ado um, Anything you would like us to talk about, send us questions, whatnot. Um, we would love to hear from our listeners. So uh, always, always looking to get a few shout-outs on social media throughout throughout the week and throughout the season. Um, but as always, Jared. Pardon our French. <laughs>